I'm Jordan. And I'm Rosanna. And on this podcast, we explore how to take life off autopilot and relentlessly pursue a life worth living together. together. Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of the Relentless Pursuit Podcast, The Kids Are All Right. So earlier this week, I was on social media and a friend of mine from elementary school had posted something and it was a note from one of her son's teachers kind of praising his artistic ability. And um, I commented on it and I said, oh, I'm not at all surprised the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I remember when we were kids um, that I was always so jealous of your artistic abilities. And so we were going back and forth and just kind of like fondly remembering elementary school and childhood. And I was sharing, I said, you know, there's just this special place in my heart for like all of the friends that we all grew up together. And I said, you know, we all still kind of keep in touch, even though we aren't close. And it's just, you know, something I, I hold, you know, near to my heart. And so all week I've really been just like reminiscing about being a kid and growing up and and what that looked like, um, you know, just playing hide and seek and, and playing tag on the playground with all of my friends and, you know, hoping that the boy you liked was going to tag you during recess. Um, <laughs> you know, I remember playing house and like, you know, with my kitchen center with like my girlfriends and Barbies and, and, and all of that. Um, and then as we got older, we even had cousins who lived a few blocks away and just like walking over with my brothers on a summer afternoon and, you know, playing ghost in the graveyard in the middle of the day. And, you know, it's just, it seems so easy back then to be a kid, you know, that you can just, you know, just kind of live life, kind of carefree and just play. But all of the play of our generation seemed like it was like this kid organized play. Mm-hmm. And then when I was thinking about like our kids and, and how they play and what they're doing, you know, I thought like, what, what does their time look like? Are they playing the way that they used to pl- like we used to play? Um, but I feel like I'm always facilitating their play yeah. and what they're so, doing and what they wants. So the nostalgia of your childhood is not now you're kind of comparing that to the experience our kids are having. Yeah. And it kind of like led me to this question. Is it harder to be a child now to grow up than it was when we were? Well, gee, I mean, define harder, you know, um, and I also wonder too about like that nostalgia. Like it's a little little bit easier to look back and say and and remember the good times and say like things were simpler, things were good. I don't know if you would describe it as a child that same way too. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it just seemed like life was very carefree, mm-hmm. um, and all we did was play. Like it didn't seem like that there were like problems or <laughs> or thing. You know, like I don't. I wonder what my parents' perspective would be on all of that. You know, that they would just say like, "Oh yeah, you could just walk down the street to your friend's house and just go and be gone." And mm-hmm. it's a little different now. Yeah. So I, there's there's no doubt that parenting is different now. And so this is what we'll get into is really like compare some stats. And facts just that we've researched about parenting and about kids these days. And your little whippersnappers. <laughs> or how many times do we start conversations with the kids? Like when I was your age, now we're starting to sound. Now we sound old. like our parents yeah, who used to say the to same sound. thing to us when we rolled our eyes. It's, at it's them. a rite of passage for, you know, each generation. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's, so here's one of the things that strikes me though, is that there's, there's a few things that you do in life that are as important as parenting. But, um, you know, just kind of going with the theme of our podcast, like sometimes you can kind of go on autopilot with that, right? Whether it's just like these day-to-day kind of random decisions or like we we think we're doing the right things um, and we're all certainly trying our best. But it's pretty rare that I feel like I've I've actually like looked into it. Like think about how many things we've, we've studied or, or what we have degrees and certifications in. And as far as parenting goes, it's like, well, we... We're kind of winging it. (laughs) So that's why I'm looking forward to this conversation because it is um, one of many conversations that we'll have about parenting, about this role, and just like hitting the pause button and examining, are we doing it right? Are the kids all right? I mean, I think the easiest way to answer it is I think the kids will be all right because as parents, you know, I think we worry about, you know, are we doing it right? Are we doing it enough? Are we giving our kids the best things? And I think those are all really big questions with really big expectations. Like we aren't going to solve all the world's problems. We're not going to be able to protect our kids from everything. Um, You know, we're not, we're going to miss some things. We're going to misstep. We're going to make mistakes. And I think we all need to know that that's okay. Mm -hmm. But it's learning along the way of how can I do this better and not better based on what somebody else is doing for or with or to their kids, because we have to do what's best 
for our own kids. Yeah. And so sometimes it's, you know, getting advice from someone that you know, or, you know, someone who is, you know, certified as a professional in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, But how many times have we tried different things until you find what works for you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of the, like the tongue in cheek goal that a parent say is like, well, I hope I don't mess my kids up too much. And uh, like, of course we don't want that. Um, But think about like the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, is there such a thing as giving them the best childhood possible? Like, what does that look like? What's, what's the outcome of that? So we almost need, almost need to like, think about what outcome do we want for our kids? We want them to be happy. We want them to have certain character qualities that no matter what comes their way, they're able to, you know, be- cope and, and deal with yeah. setbacks and, and failures and frustrations. Yeah. And be able to like thrive, you know, emotionally and financially. And, you know, there, so there's, there's a lot of angles to that. So actually that's getting into some of my, my questions that I have for you in a little bit. Um, but first let me tantalize you with uh, a few things. You've probably heard some of these before. Um, so I looked at parenting, you looked at kids and we'll kind of compare some of our facts just to get our research going. So I looked at a a number of resources here. One particular resource that kind of tied a bunch of these things together was a 2018 article uh, in the New York times. It's called the relentlessness of modern parenting. And as you look at a lot of the, the research, a lot of the articles and just reflections on modern parenting, one of the continued strains is that parenting is time consuming and it is stressful these days. And I don't know, actually, according to the research, like parents of previous generations would not have described it in that same way. But would you, would you agree that those are at least two words that describe it? Uh, I I would think so. It can be. Okay. So there's a lot more that goes into it. So let me just share with you a little bit that I have here. Um, so for like going with that, so parents are spending more time with their kids. Um, fathers are spending more time than they really like historically ever have. Um, and moms are too, except moms, there's, there's more working moms in this era as well. Um, so, but they're still spending as much time with their kids than the non-working mom of previous generations. Which to me is mind boggling, <laughs> right. right? Because like moms of previous generations, I mean, it's you kind of like when you watch like those old like 50s and 60s sitcoms, like the mom is at home and she has all of this time to like be in full hair and makeup and a dress most of the day because the kids are just, they eat breakfast, they're out of the house, they're at school, they go play, they come home, they eat dinner. Like the mom isn't like, you know, tr- doing all this child rearing. The kids are just out playing and mm. the mom is kind of dialed up and cooking dinner. Yeah. God bless. So, uh, you know, so in a way that, I mean, we look at that and that's uh, a, a positive, you know, as uh, fathers are spending more time with their children, um, you think about, and maybe this is more of a, a trope than a reality, but you have the, like, kind of like that, that detached father who like works, comes home, um, just sits in his lazy boy and drinks beer and doesn't, doesn't have a lot of interactions. That's the way my dad described his grandfather. I mean, so we're going way back now, but um So a lot of this, though, is tied to economics, because if you look at the the scope of how the financial world has changed for families, there's there's a few dynamics that are really important. Um, First, like there's more working moms. Well, why are there more working moms? Um, You know, for a couple of reasons and and no single reason is good or bad. But um, for one is that, you know, there's kind of been a feminist movement to have more women involved in society, which I think is fantastic. Um, but the other thing that kind of goes along with that is that uh, in a lot of cases to maintain a, a standard of living, like a middle class living, um, you want two working parents. Um, or there's also an uptick in single parent households, which is statistically um, more like single mother households. And so there's a lot more time spent working as well. Um, just... Did you find anything with um, like a shift in like um, entrepreneurs too, where like, um, you know, dads do something that maybe they start their own business. And so like in order to like be able to afford afford insurance, you know, a mother will work out of the house to provide insurance for her family to no. I was just wondering. No, I didn't. Okay. Um, but going along with that. So there's a lot more like you have both parents working and um, you know, another element of this too is that, uh, 
you to to really get like a middle class wage, you need to attend college. Now it's kind of expected, and college admissions are becoming increasingly competitive. So now that's kind of as parents, that's what we're recognizing. And there is this, um, a little bit of anxiety, even if we can't name it or attach it to those things, there's anxiety that if we don't put the requisite time and energy and money investing in our kids, then, and this is statistically true as well, they are um, much less likely to achieve the same or better uh, economic circumstances when they're adults than what they enjoy as a child. Did I explain that? Yeah. Did that make it sense? It totally made sense. So now like a, a lot of this is kind of this anxiety of like, man, I, I really need to like put the title. I need to sign them up for these activities. I need to get them, you know, think about, and we kind of laughed at this, but when like a two-year-old gets dropped off at daycare, um, sometimes it's not daycare. It's like, it's like school. It's like two-year-old school. And it's like this, this fretting over, are they involved in enough enrichment activities, whether it's school at the age of two, or if it's a tutoring or music lessons or travel, baseball or soccer or whatever, um, so that by the time they get to college, they'll be competitive and get into a good school and then be able to earn the kind of future that we hope that they have. Yeah, that's... And if they don't, then this is culturally what parents are doing. And they're going to be kind of competing, in a sense, against kids internationally who do have that parenting. Although I say internationally, but a lot of this is more of a, an American phenomenon. Now, the other statistic I'll throw in here, too, is that um, this is it, – it's not just time. And we'll reflect on some of, some of the activities we do with our kids, like time-ways. But it's not just time, but it's also money as well. So if you already have money – and you have the flexibility to do these things, then you are more able to pass that advantage on to your children as well. Well, and I wonder too, if there's a correlation between, you know, parenting and the time and the like financial obligation we feel that needs to be met with enrolling them in all of these enrichment activities and what that costs and how many kids people are having, right? Like, cause long-term you're thinking, right, I can't afford to keep that up with, Three kids, four kids. All Americans are having fewer children this generation as well. Others, not, <laughs> not, not us, us apparently. apparently. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, but but that is realistic too. It's like if I have fewer children, then I'll have more time and money that I can invest in each child. Right. So from their schooling to their athletics to like any kind of inclination that they have because mm -hmm. two is way less than four. Yeah. And so you hear me gripe about that because we do have, I mean, we have our kids involved in piano. And so just for listeners, like I grew up playing the piano, loved it, trying to pass that experience onto my kids. And from the age of five, we pay $20 a week for each kid. And now we have three, three kids, kids who are doing that every day. So you can do the math. And that on top of the different, you know, they're all involved in like a competitive or athletic activity. Um, so it, it adds up even at this young age. And um, actually another statistic that I found was that the amount of money parents spend on their children used to spike when their children are in high school. But now that's actually shifted. And I want to look into this a little bit more because it sounded so like a little too strange to be true. Um, but it spikes now um, before the age of six and after the age of 18. Well, and I can see that because, um, and I was talking about this with someone earlier this week, that it's, we want our kids to be the best athlete. And so the earlier we sign them up, right, the more, the more we can figure out or train them to be the best of the best so that, or in hopes of them being able to do it like through college and earn a scholarship. And you get the scholarship. And then people laugh because they're like, well, by the time you've put them in these elite pr training programs from the time that they're four until the time that they're 18, you, you probably could have paid college tuition. So <laughs> really, it's just kind of when are you paying, yeah. you know, at the beginning or at the end? Yeah. So one last thing I want to add to this, too, because I think this will tie into some of the things you'll share about kids, is that um, the, like I said, the parents are spending more time with children. But you've heard the term helicopter parenting, where they're in closer proximity to their children. Um, they're playing with their children and supervising their children a great deal more than in previous generations, too. 
So the idea of like just having them out of your sight is uncommon. And it's actually frowned upon uh, because states have passed laws, like basically saying, I think it was called the free range parenting law, <laughs> like basically saying like, you're not at fault as a parent, or you, you won't be charged with neglect if your child is out of your sight. Like if your kid is like walking the dog alone around the block and they're not, you know, directly under your arm. Well, and we've talked about this and we've laughed about it because there are certain things like I, I wouldn't do or let the kids do that you're like, oh, that's fine. I go, well, right, but you might think it's fine. But then you have the kind of judgment of other people surrounding you who are looking at you thinking your kid is too far away from you. Um, you're oh, not, yeah. You're not supervising. Well, I'll tell this story, too. Uh, so this was last fall and we had our two-year-old. So we, we were at a soccer game for our oldest. The two-year-old was with me and he ended up uh, and I could see him very clearly because there's this wide open field, but he ended up running away from me to go play on some empty bleachers to go climb on those. I did not follow him. So I would say I was probably 50 to 75 yards away from him. And I was going to walk over there. I actually had the dog with me. So I was doing something with her leash and the coach who was like running the game literally stopped the game when she noticed that he was over on those bleachers by himself, like looking for the parent. And I even raised my hand. I'm like, I can see him. I'm the dad. And she didn't start the game until I started walking in that direction to be closer to him. And it was like this awkward moment where I'm like, look, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with what's taking place at this moment. The kid is safe. I can still, he's still being supervised and I'm heading in that direction. Um, but it, it seemed like, there was, I wouldn't say judgment, but like, I would say like anxiety, like an adult. Well, she is was not, uncomfortable with, is not with this the child. amount of space between you and your child mm -hmm. at a young age. So that's why it's, you know, that's, yeah. I think that's. So you the, listeners, you can judge me. <laughs> but that's the part of parenting that's hard is, um, you know, everybody has kind of a different style or a different approach to parenting. Some, some parents have a very short leash on their kids. You know, um, even sometimes when we do things with the kids, the, the amount of space we will put between us and our kids is uncomfortable to my parents where my parents are more concerned about like their safety because they're, you know, anything could happen. Someone mm -hmm. could, they could grab run into them. the streets. Could, yeah. um, and, you know, as parents, we kind of know that our kids know that their, their boundaries or their limits or what they're allowed to do. And so, so that's the hard part about parenting is even if you feel like you have it figured out or you feel like what works for you, there's, there's pressure from the outside to do mm -hmm. things a certain way. And so and to think about things a certain way, you're kind yeah. of juggling that, like what I think is best, what is actually best and what people are saying about what we're doing. So, you yeah. know, it can be hard. Actually, can I tell one other short story too? Sure. You might remember this as well. We were at the zoo. This might've been, I don't know if it was Brookfield, maybe it was in St. Louis. No, we were in St. Louis. I remember this. Completely. And our daughter, was two years old and she like I think she insisted on I don't know she was throwing a tantrum she, yeah. she didn't want to move forward we were all moving forward yeah we were just walking she didn't want to get in the stroller she didn't want to be carried and she didn't want to walk so at some point as a parent we're just like fine suit yourself and then you're like I'm gonna walk away and again, like we probably got like I would say like maybe 10 yards away from her and well I said there's a lot of people here. You're going to make a lot of people uncomfortable if you walk away from her right now. Oh, but, and, and she was, and you insisted, you're like, nope, this is the, this is what we're going to do. You just, and, and then they get worried and then they follow you and, and comply. Um, come on, like, don't leave me hanging here, parents. Nothing like, like the we, act of this coercion is, this has to more than, two -year -old, right. yeah. So you get into that battle, but then, yeah, like I would say like three or four women, like just see her and in, in what she looks alone, even though I and was she's crying. Yeah. They're like, are you by yourself? Are you okay? And then I'm, I really walk back at that point. I'm like, I'm her dad. Like, you know, and they, just the looks that I got from them I, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, sure. Take her side. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but I got my told you so right in there. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, that was just another kind of, kind of comical moment too. And again, like they're in, in those circumstances, like they're very little, um, and they're like still being supervised. There's a little bit more context to those circumstances too, but it's, um, you know, just kind of those moments of like, really like trying to figure it out as a parent. And you have these, these questions and sometimes these, these battles and, you know, you're, you're just trying to do the best that you can. I agree. I mean, what, yeah, what is the answer? But that mom culture was telling me like, you cannot leave her you know, crying there. I can, I'm like, I can see all these moms. I'm like, they're going to swarm. They're going to hover. They're going to think she's alone. You're like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so 
lesson learned on your part. Yeah. All right. So there from, from my end, like just uh, a little bit of a fodder for our conversation, just about parents and parenting culture. I'm glad you mentioned mom culture too. You'll have to teach me a little bit more about it, but I'm glad not a part of mom culture sometimes. It's a little different. Yeah. It's a little different. So what do you want to do? Do you want to go into questions about parenting or you want to talk about kids a little bit first? And well, I want to hear what you found about kids. Okay. So I was just looking at kids in general. So we know that it's hard to be a parent and it's we're parenting kids differently than our parents did. And so I was kind of thinking about like, what's missing with our kids because we're right. Um, you know, putting them in tutoring. I remember going into my son's kindergarten classroom and doing reading with the kids back and forth. And there was a girl already reading at a, at a second grade level Mm -hmm. in kindergarten. So they're just learning to read, which we never learned to read in kindergarten. So to me, these kids are like already ahead that they're learning to read. I learned to read in kindergarten. Okay. But it's really first grade. I think when we were younger, where that really got traction. Anyway, thank you for, for the telling kids. us yeah, that you <laughs> learned to read early. Um, and this girl sat down with a book that was like, you know, there's like the, the pre-reader, the level one. She was like already on like level four. She's on like chapter books. Yeah. And I was like, just staring at her. I'm like, wow, did your parents teach you how to read? And she goes, no, I go to Kumon. I'm like, mm-hmm. what's that? She's like, oh, like tutoring. I go, oh, how long have you been going to tutoring? Oh, two years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a five-year-old. She's been... Well, sure, she can read at like a fourth grade reading level. She's been reading since she was two. And like, to me, that never dawned on me that like, we should be signing our kids up to do that because I was like, oh, they're just kids. Mm -hmm. And then I came home and told you and I was like, oh my gosh, your kids are behind. They should have been tutoring, like learning to read. And the one thing that you said to me is like, they're just kids. Like everybody's going to learn to read. So sure, she learns to read early. Um, But then, you know, like as a parent, you want what's best for them. You want them to be successful. Mm -hmm. But am I setting my kids up at a disadvantage if I'm not doing what everybody else is doing? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if I said this at the time, but right now I'm thinking like, our kids are at no shortage of reading. Like you listeners need to know, like the bedtime routine for all of our kids is reading intensive. And um, we could get to more detail about that too and maybe reevaluate it. But like we're spending a lot of time reading to our kids. So too much, I would say. So just kind of based on all of that, I was like, so what what is missing in our kids' lives that may be different from when we were kids? And like, why are we, you know, so gung ho about making sure that they have the best of everything and every opportunity? And, you know, is that, is that to their advantage? Mm-hmm. And in some ways, yeah, it is. And in other ways, maybe it's not. So I was looking at, um, the, the influence of play. So the article, one of the articles I looked at was from the Atlantic, um, and it was in their health section and it was called all work and no play. Why your kids are more anxious, depressed, and more anxious and depressed. And basically they said lack of play affects emotional development, which can increase anxiety, depression, and problems of attention and self-control. So then the article outlines kind of like these five things that play does for their our kids. And, it, you know, play, we're talking about like just creative, active play, like mm-hmm. running around, being outside. Um, and it says that play allows kids to develop a connection to their own self-identity and interests. Because when you play, like you start to play the things that you're interested in, right? Our six-year-old right now is very into horses. And so when she plays, everything is a horse. She's running around neighing. Like she's, she's, you know, like. She jumps in my back and says, yeah. Yeah. I mean, all <laughs> kinds of things about like these little, these little horse girls from spirit. Um, and so they start to realize what they like when they're given the freedom to kind of like come up with and express you know, their own identity. Um, It says it allows them to make decisions, solve problems, exert self-control and follow rules. And so if you think about that with games, right? Like you have to make decisions, you have to like learn how to like keep yourself in check, follow rules. Because when you don't, especially when you're playing with other people, then they don't want to play with you anymore. So you kind of have to learn those like boundaries and parameters of playing. Um, It helps to handle emotions, including anger and fear. Um, when I go back to like that tag and ghost in the graveyard, like I think I was already maybe in like fifth or sixth grade. And then we had cousins that were older. But I remember like walking with my brother to their house and it was maybe like six blocks away. And then like running between yards and, you know, that fear of like, is the neighbor going to come out and yell at me? It's like you're you're really learning about your environment and what you should be doing and, you know, not be doing. You're kind of like weighing those things. Okay, so um, you were trespassing. All right. Yes, trespassing. <laughs> um, helps you make friends and get along with others. And then the last one, it gives kids a creative source, often resulting in happiness. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of talked about that with hobbies and passions, where it's like this, this um, ability to have a creative space often brings fulfillment and happiness. Mm-hmm. And so if kids don't have play, 
or enough, you know, free play or active play, those are some of the things that they're missing Mm -hmm. because they're, you know, being drilled with this, that, and the other thing, or right there on the screen somewhere. So we can obviously talk about that. Um, So I got these statistics from healthline.com and it said 65% of kids age one through four are not playing enough, meaning they're usually on a screen, um, but are not just allowed to play and Mm -hmm. kind of use their imagination and and be creative. So, and by play, you you obviously don't mean like screens or video games then. There's something. Okay. Like this free play with, you know, something other than a device. Um, 75% of kids... Under 12 are not getting enough active replay, running, riding bikes, being independent. And then it said more than 91% of American kids play video games and 90% of those video games are violent. Mm-hmm. So even just looking at when they are given a screen, what are they doing on those screens and like what influence does like violence have on the way that they act and interact with others? Yeah. I mean, so there's a lot there. So, you know, one of my biggest questions is like, do our kids know how to play? Well, yeah, but I mean, here's what I noticed. I noticed a couple of things that influence that. For one, there's um, obviously like this past year, like the pandemic had like changed the the scope of play. They weren't going to school. They didn't have recess. We couldn't go to the pool. Um, so a lot of usual sources of play were limited to some extent. And then winter around here is limiting as well. Like, and that's one of the things, like you can't just go to the park or we can't like go for a bike ride or you can just walk over to someone's house. And so you, you do feel a little bit more confined in those circumstances. So I, I think those are just factors to consider too. Um, but that, like I would say, like, yes, our, our kids definitely know how to play. I, I think the scope of that has changed a little bit. And this maybe varies by household, too. But, like, I notice our kids really like playing with us, like, particularly with me. Like, they'll wherever I am in that, they'll seek me out. Where's dad? Do you want to play? And I realize I've, um, in some ways, become a source of their entertainment or become, like, a playmate. So... And I think that's a good thing to some extent. And I love being able to be like, yeah, let's, let's get included in your fun. And I still tell, they'll ask 50 times a day. I'll tell them no, like 49 of those times. <laughs> and, but, you know, they keep asking and eventually there's kind of this, this opportunity that we can do something that's fun together. Um, I also noticed that the, and I was reading about this too, how toys uh, that are made are not, they don't allow the same kind of imaginative free play that items did in, in previous generations. Toys are made like with very specific functions and features, and it can often inhibit imagination. So, um, I mean, you, you go back, you go way back and a lot of kids would just like find stuff in the yard. And actually I, I really like this. I don't, I don't know what your feelings are about it, but when they're just like digging in dirt and playing with sticks that they find, like a stick becomes a gun or it's a staff or it's, um, you know, a, a, a bow, a bow, for, for a an, wand. Yeah. Right. And, and so that, that, I mean, that's genuine imagination instead of having like the actual item itself. So, uh, and I still think having toys is is good as well, but you almost want like, like plain kind of like dynamic toys that become tools for the imagination. Um, so that's why like a lot of toys we get, I'm like, let's, let's not open this. Or if it's a gift that they get, like, let's, let's not open this because it comes with like all these specific functions and features and it can like, how, how do you even use it? Cause it plays for you in a sense. Now, the other thing too, is that the number of toys I found becomes inhibitive as well. So we've talked about, actually, I don't know if we've talked about the paradox of choice on this podcast before, but it is, uh, it's a book that I'll include in the show notes too, but it is uh, kind of this idea that the more options you have, the more dissatisfying making any choice becomes. So just think about when you go to a restaurant and you have like this huge menu and everything on it looks good. Well, making a choice becomes stressful because you're not thinking about what you're going to enjoy from the menu. You're thinking about all the things you're going to miss out. And the same thing is true uh, in a slightly different dynamic with your toys, where you, you begin to have so many that they lose meaning and they lose value. And now we have, I mean, we speci- our kid yesterday tried to pull something off the shelf and like this box with some pieces in it like fell down just because our kids' closets are 
overflowing with toys, most of which are it's, unused. It's so funny what you think overflowing is because compare and, and like, okay, this is, you know, the comparison game compared to a lot of people are, I know our kids have probably one sixteenth of what they have. And so it's maybe it's a lot for us, but what's a lot for us isn't a lot for somebody else. And so that's why moms do that thing where they like have a bunch of toys out and then they like pack those away and then they bring out some new toys where it's like you're trying to limit those options. You're trying to like so that there's not so much to choose from, but it's, you know, easier to like find something or to be drawn to something because there are not too many choices. Yeah. But I mean, you go back uh, several generations and it used to really only be like the like the richest kids who had just piles of unused toys. Now, I, I feel like that's a little bit more common. And I don't want to speak for every household, but it's, I mean, it's certainly true in ours where our kids, how often do they say like, I'm bored. And we start listing, well, you could do this or you could do this or you could do this. And, you, and we, we name every toy they have. And, you know, there's just in that listing, I feel like, like, ugh, like, why do you have so much and are still dissatisfied? I don't think it's the kid's fault. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to look at it. So the kids do know how to play, but are we, maybe the question is as parents, like, are we um, encouraging them to play in a creative way that isn't reliant on screens and isn't reliant on toys, right? Like maybe our generation as parents problem is that we're trying to make them happy all the time. And so we give them so many choices thinking that more choices is going to make them happy, mm -hmm. that more choices is going to make them more engaged. And then, you know, some, sometimes we find that like, oftentimes they're not playing with those things, but our four are in the basement playing with cardboard boxes, making up some kind of crazy game. That's what I've been saying. Stacking, like for next Christmas, pillows. only get cardboard boxes. That's but what like, they want. You know, it forces them to be creative and like come up with some game where it's like they have a papa shot down there and um you know a gymnastics bar and a ninja warrior course and although they'll play with those things or their hoverboard right like when they're most engaged and when we hear like the most like laughs and yelling because they're like cooperating and and play fighting and all of that it's it's drawn around very simple things. Yeah. And that's why, and, and I was reading about this, so like part of child play is kind of reinventing something. So like think about all the mats that we have so they don't break their necks if they fall off that course that we have downstairs. Um, but that like they hardly use it for that purpose. In fact, half the time they're on the course, they've moved the mat somewhere else. But they they set it up to make like a, a bowling alley or a and and they take our weights and they they rearrange those into some kind of lane and then they come up with races or then then they're kind of inventing their own games and activities. And that's where the cardboard box comes in, is it can like really kind of become anything. You know, you can crawl in it, you can open it up, you can lay it flat, you can draw on it, you can cut holes in it. And they, they've done all those things. And that's where I've found like they, they tend to be the most engaged when they can invent and imagine along with their play. Well, and I think, you know, you kind of brought up this idea of boredom. And so like my question is, it's kind of like WDBD, what does boredom do? You need an acronym for that? I just thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> okay. You know, like, are we afraid to let our kids be bored, right? Um, some kids go from um, golf lessons to basketball to their reading tutor to a play date to something else where as parents, we're facilitating so much for them. They never have a moment to be bored. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have a moment to be bored, you don't have to come up with something to do. And so now we've had, you know, just atrocious weather across the entire country the last couple of weeks. It's like sub-zero. There's got to be like 38 inches of snow in our front yard, which is great, but it's too cold to be in. Um and, you know, the kids are like, what should I do? And, you know, mm -hmm. we, we Dad, list. Can you play with me? <laughs> we list all the things that they can, can do. Can I go or, on video, guys? Yes. Is time Right. So you're trying to keep them off screens. And, you know, as a parent, it's easy to put them on a screen, right? Like right now, we're recording. Yes. This uh, podcast has been brought to you by Multiple screens, screens for every child. Children, so they stay quiet. Um, so, you know, they serve <laughs> a purpose, but. When we let as parents, like our default become put them on a screen or let them be on a screen because they're not complaining, they're not whining, they're not bored, but is that what's best for them? And so as parents, it's like this, we don't want to be bothered because our lives are so important. And mm -hmm. our, our children are so important to us yet. Mm -hmm. well, we let uh, And pa parents are very busy as well. So I, I want to talk about screens, but I want to put 
boredom in a little bit more context too, because I was reading about this as well. Um, and it, it kind of goes along with other kinds of emotions or experiences that children can have. So I'll, I'll lump anxiety in there with it too. There is kind of an, an arc to these experiences. So just take boredom, for example. There's, you know, you, you start off fine and then you get really bored. So, you know, here's my bell-shaped curve. <laughs> You're really bored. And then that boredom declines when you kind of figure out your own circumstance. And we've seen that with our kids. I'm bored. Why don't you go to your room, go find something to do. And then there's a lot of like discomfort and anger. Angst, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and then five minutes later, they found something to do and they're actually entertaining themselves. Um, this happens with anxiety as well, where if you're like feeling nervous or uncomfortable about something, again, like those those thoughts and, and feelings increase. Um, but as, uh, and I'm just, just talking about like a, a typical like childhood experience, you're, you're able to kind of sort through that and, and bring yourself back down. Well, during at the, the the height of those curves, when t- children are experiencing either the most boredom or the most anxiety, or just fill in the blank, that's when parents intervene, and so that that denouement of that bell shaped curve becomes interrupted, and kids lose the ability to kind of resolve their own emotions. Now, do you think that that is like? I don't want to say a parenting problem, but a problem that we have as parents because we think we are supposed to help them solve all their problems, not allow them to have discomfort or feel discomfort. We feel like we're doing them a favor by solving that problem for them yeah. that they never get. And of course, like we love our kids. like We want them to be happy. And if I can give you a shortcut to that, then sure. So, I mean, so then really what we have to look at is like, are we trying to solve all, all of our kids' problems for them? And when we do that, what is it, what disservice are we doing to them when they don't have to figure it out themselves? Mm-hmm. And what you were talking about, kind of like with that little bit of anxiety, discomfort, and then like figuring it out reminds me of, you know, the conversations earlier the season that we've had about self-care, where it's like kind of like the same thing where sometimes we need time to kind of like step back and like listen to our own like internal monologue and like, okay, what's right for me? What do I need at this moment? And kind of like it's the same thing, solve that problem for ourselves but also kind of like I had said with, um, you know, kids in play, you know, it allows them to like develop a connection to their self-identity and their own interests, like that they have to be the facilitator of that, that we can't always do that for them. Right. Yeah. So there's, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, trying to take a shortcut that ends up, you know, cutting out what you're, what you're really trying to accomplish. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of things we have to learn even as adults, like just how to cope with certain things. And then this is getting back to screens, but I would say all other kinds of like, like digital entertainment in a sense, like it's a very noisy world as well, right? Because we have our screens, we have video games, we have things we can watch, we have things we can listen to, and it's portable, it's customizable. Uh, but what a lot of those things do is um, it's giving us, even as adults, like an excuse to tune our own thoughts out. And I think that that becomes detrimental when we kind of forget the sound of our own voice, of our own inner monologue. And so, especially for children who need, first need to develop that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm concerned about our kids and to what extent they, they are developing that, to what extent we're helicoptering in ways that are kind of productive. Well, I just finished the book um, Untamed by Glennon Doyle, and she was talking about her high school age son who was, she said, you know, was, seemed to be living on his phone. And she um, kind of coined it as this term. She said, um, our kids are living among us. Where they're kind oh, of like that popular game, like that popular. You guys game. haven't played Among Us. You should check it out. But this is all it's all the rage um, that they are um, on their screens. They are finding it easier, an easier place to exist on their screens, a place easier than their own minds and in their own bodies, because when they're on their screens, right, they're just kind of mindlessly scrolling. They're kind of even numb to what's going around going on around them in their own home. They're Mm -hmm. just not present. Mm -hmm. They're there in body, but like their mind is in this other world. They exist somewhere else, but they're not existing like in the here and in the now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I have said the same thing too. Like we want to be distanced from our phones. We can be here and now. 
Right. So it's a, it's a portal to being somewhere and even someone else. And again, I was reading, we did a letter reading for this. I was reading about uh, like teenagers more so, you know, fewer of them are dating, fewer of them are getting together like socially, fewer of them are even driving before the age of, or it used to be a rite of passage, like your 16th birthday, like you go and get your driver's license or somewhere around there. A few of them are learning to drive by that age as well. Um, so there's like certain things that used to be like these norms that have been replaced and you know, allegedly because of the emergence of digital prominence. And I've never made that connection, but like I've heard that more and more. It's like, oh yeah. And I know that there's more stipulations with driving now and how many hours and who can be in the car. But I remember like at 16, everyone around here, you got your license, you were out, like you were with people. And now because you can be with people without being with them. People are, or kids are withdrawn, a little more withdrawn that they don't have to be with others. Yeah. It's, that's a scary place to be. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm getting depressed during this conversation <laughs> because there's obviously a lot of challenges, uh, a lot to keep in mind. And like I said, like, you know, we're, we're definitely, there's no shortage of parenting advice or, you know, uh, psychiatrists or, you know, psychologists offering um, different takes on what's best for kids. And, um, I, I, I have questions. I, I feel like we've been talking a lot just about kind of the scope of things. Like where, where, where do you want to go next? Do you, should we, uh, kind of talk through some of the questions that we have for one another? Um, do you want to get to some of our proposals? We're going to end the episode with uh, some ideas of maybe what we can do as parents just a little bit better. But what do you think? I have two questions that I think maybe would be good to address. And I mean, we can go into proposals. I mean, who cares how long the episode is, right? Okay. Let's, let's just do it. Um, do our kids need to have the best of everything? And does having the best of everything make the best people? Well, what do you mean by the best of everything? I mean, you can, I mean, there are so many levels you can start with this. Do our kids like need to have the best shoes? Do our kids, kids need to go to the best schools? Do our kids need to be on the best teams? Mm-hmm. Like I, insert whatever you want there. Do they need to have the best phones, the best car, the best of everything to be good people? Well, like as parents, no, well, like, you're listing different things there. So there's the, the materials, like the best shoes or the best, uh, you said phones. So like, no, I think the obvious answer to that is no, they don't have to have the best of those. But then you mentioned the best schools as well. I'm like, well, that's, that's a little bit more immaterial, right? They're like their educations and, and uh, there's, there's intrinsic value in that. So maybe, maybe let's pick, like maybe we should try to provide the best to them, but in certain areas. Well, I'm just like, wondering. I, I like, mean, if they ask for the, the like latest iPhone, <laughs> I tell them to go fly a kite. I'm not going to buy that for them. But, just, if, but even just, you know, like we're, we're even as parents, like, oh, my kid needs to like go to preschool at this school. Like is if your kid is loved and supported and is taught, are they not going to thrive? I get a little anxious just thinking about that. Like if I, if I can provide I don't know. I mean, better than somebody else. Then, like, the anxiety is that they they will fall behind their community of peers. All right, their community of peers is networking one another at that preschool, you know, and and kind of growing up together in a sense. And and maybe if it is you know an elite preschool, let's just say, um, then they are receiving some advantages that will continue to be built upon. And whereas you know, our, our child would not, I mean, that's, that's already what's happening. You know, you have like so many different income levels and the kind of the resources that can be bought at each level. So I wonder like, you know, if you, you can afford both in time and money, like, you know, opportunity a, then I I feel anxious, not providing that to them. Well, I just kind of wondered that in terms of like, what role does equity play in raising the next generation? I'm not qualified to answer that question. Yeah, but there's just a lot of bigger (laughs) questions there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. Those were just questions that I had. And the other one too is like, are we modeling for our kids who they should be? You know, as parents, when we are so worried about money or status or opportunity, like what is that teaching our kids? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, or are we modeling like, 
your best is always good enough. You have to do what your best is. You can't compare yourself to the person next to you or to the person who has more money than you. Like, right? Like when we're parenting a certain way in that we're going to give them the best of everything and we're going to have more money so that we can give them more. Like what, what do they start chasing and what is their expectation for like their level of performance? Yeah. Right. Is their best ever going to be good enough? Well, I, I guess the priority is obviously character. And I, and I don't think we've ever lost sight of that. But along with that then comes that idea that no matter what your circumstances are, you can be happy and you can be grateful. Right. However, it would be really nice if those circumstances were, uh, you know, you're able to provide uh, a comfortable living for your own children um, that you can have, you know, kind of the household and the the community that you um, imagine is best suiting to to your vision. Um, but at a certain point, like they they become their own moral agent as well. So I don't know what age that transition officially takes place. Um, but at what point is it like you know we've we've done our best to set them up, you know, with their education and with their character, um, but now like they they're officially going to go make their own decisions and we're going to support them as best as possible. But we, we have to let go of some of that anxiety and, and expectation that we put on ourselves during their youth. Okay. What do you think about this notion? Some people would say that kids today are more disrespectful, undisciplined and have greater sense of entitlement. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? I disagree because that thing about every Every generation that has ever existed has looked at kids these days and griped about them. Like, <laughs> that's <laughs> so, so saying like, oh, this is, you know, kids used to do that. Now they're disrespect. Like, no. like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would agree, you know. Um, kids are, I mean, it depends on who they are, but you meet super respectful kids as well. But sometimes the culture changes and so the way the ways in which they are disrespectful or undisciplined or have entitlement maybe it's a little bit different and it, it strikes different. someone who's older right but then whose fault is that is it somebody's fault is it the parents fault right what does my dad always say like when our kids are doing something and they like they don't say please or thank you or they're you know they're kind of just being a pest or something and my dad's famous line is well i blame the parents yeah but at the same time like it's kids are kids, but the whole point is like kids are kids, regardless of the generation or the time they're living. Kids are yeah. going to try and push their limits. When, when kids you're are old, you're going to always look at and we'll be at that point too, where you look at kids these days. Although, like, there's some simple things that I try and they just don't stick. Like, I like our kids are very willing and we've taught them to call all adults like Mr. or Mrs. and then by their last name. Well, half the adults are like, no, just call me Dave. You know, I'm like, well, I'm trying to get them to like, you know, have a sense of, of reverence for their elders, at least through title. And, you know, the culture seems uninterested in that. I mean, I think one of the things we just all need to remember is like, we're all so wrapped up in raising our kids right, that sometimes like we'll resort to like fear and punishment or shame. Um, and really what we need to remember as parents is that we need to love them. Mm -hmm. And so I think some kids are easier or harder to love than others. And what works for one kid is not going to work for the other. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think the question that we have to keep asking ourselves is like, how can we love our kids today? Yeah. Right. How can we show them love and support and encouragement? How can we teach them without always, you know, being negative? Yeah. But sometimes, like we were saying, that love can be a tough love too. It's like, I'm bored. Well, I think what we're saying is that the loving thing to do is not to just interrupt that boredom with becoming their playmate or, and we're not saying don't play with your kids either, but like having a, a like a greater sense of what is like most natural and most long-term beneficial to our kids. So I think that's a great way to transition into maybe like these proposals that we want to make to kind of like doing it right or doing it better. Yeah. It's a very formal word. It's like, hear ye, hear ye. Well, so it's kind of like when we so do our takeaways or yeah. our challenges. So we're going to pitch mean, a few ideas to each other for maybe things that we could do or that we want to do just as parents um, to hopefully raise our kids better. Yeah. I mean, meeting our kids' needs is not easy and it's not without challenge, um, but it's something that I think we can all work on. So I think the big question, and this is the way that I phrase it, is like, what can we do to, for, 
and or with our kids to make sure they are. What can we do to our kids? To, for, or with. So, you know, if you're thinking about this, right, you're driving in the car, you're listening to this, right? What can I do to, for, or with them? Okay. So my first proposal is actually to them. Um, I think, and again, this this kind of goes along with like kids these days, uh, but this this is on us. Um, I think that our kids need more responsibilities around the house. Okay, so how's the two play in there? Or, well, we're going to like assign them oh, certain responsibilities. responsibilities. Yeah, and I, I mean, like sometimes if something needs to be done, then I, I would pick on someone and say, like, all right, go do this. Um, but I'm talking about like instead like regular, like consistent tasks that right now the tasks that they do are for themselves. Like you have to read, you have to practice your piano, you have to do um, kind of whatever they're independently working on. Um, You know, so this is going to come across as, you know, it's about time you kids started contributing around here. (laughs) So they're, they're little, but teaching them that sense of like, if, if you want this done, then you're going to need to do this yourself. And of course, then they're going to say, well, I don't want it. To, like, I don't want my room vacuumed. I'm fine with the way it is. But some simple, I would say simple and consistent chores. And then like, just like in real life, like you don't get what you want until you've adhered to your responsibility. Okay. So I had the same one, but that wasn't for my two. That was my four. So I didn't do that for them. No, it was, I can't do it all for them. Oh, okay. And so like, I can be a loving parent without enabling them to be lazy and dependent on me for everything. So like, give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. And so just as like the the mom here, you know, I'm in charge of a lot. And like, I just like to like have things done and done correctly. And so for me, that means I err on the side of just kind of doing it all. Oh, and it's way easier just to do it on our own too. Oh, yeah. so faster, more efficient, done correctly. So because I like to operate in that world, um, sometimes I don't give them the responsibility that I think that they should have because it would be a little more inconvenient for me. So that's kind of like my four. Like I can't do it all for them anymore. Okay. And that's going to teach them responsibility and respect instead of demanding what they want. They have to kind of take ownership over what they need. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So then part of what we'll do then is just like decide what those are going to be. Yeah. We can take a look at those later. All right. Well, let me throw this into, this wasn't my, one of my original questions. Do you think an allowance is part of that picture? Because right now they like don't, they don't get a whole nother one. episode. Okay. I feel like. <laughs> let's not go there. <laughs> or right. we have to decide on that first. Right. Let's just not keep it either. at no for now. It's too many of them. Um, okay. So that was my first proposal was having some chores. I like that we had the same one, just worded it differently. I know. We're always so in tune. Okay. Um, Let me go to my two then. My two was, um, my kids need to be seen. And so I meant this in terms of like, am I looking at my kids or am I looking past them? Like, am I worried about their unbrushed hair or like, you know, like you worry about your kids, but you're not like necessarily like look like looking. That's nice, but I can't like, it's, it's so much pressure on yourself to be like, am I... You should be worried about their unbrushed hair. Like that's part of like. I know. But what I'm saying is sometimes are we too busy with like the things that, you know, are we worrying about the things that aren't important? Like Juliet dressing herself for school and she looks like, you know. I get a kick out of that. I mean, just the mismatched and the uh, patterns and like, I'm so worried about that, right? I don't want to send her to school like that because she'd embarrass me. Mm-hmm. Or am I like looking at that she, you know, something's wrong, something's amiss and I'm not really looking at her. I'm worried about what she looks like and what others will say about her, you know, like, so just being a little bit more in tuned. We had that today with one of the kids. They were like upset about something and it was, you know, something silly, but it was like, all right, taking the moment to acknowledge that like it something upset them and then just even like setting it straight like, hey, I know you were disappointed about this and it wasn't because we're denying your request or don't think it's important. It was just this isn't what we're doing today. And so yeah. just making sure that we're we're seeing what's what's there mm-hmm. instead of, you know, just what's there on the outside. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you yeah. have one? Yeah, it comes back to screens because I think we all kind of feel this tension between like, you know, permitting, permitting screens because, you know, the kids are very entertained by it um, and it is pressure off of us so that we can, you know, do simple things like cook dinner or have an uninterrupted conversation. Um, And, you know, I've done research on how much kids spend on screens per day and there's a lot of averages. And our kids are below that average, um, but it still bothers me. You know, it's kind of this default in in certain contexts too. So, I 
I could probably use some help shaping this, but I would like to either have like a, like a no screens day, which would go for us as well. and might be kind of nice. Um, or just kind of redefining the parameters so that they, they don't like assume that that's a consistent available expectation. At, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it kind of puts them in the position of needing to like figure out their play. I think that's good. Um, a friend of mine just told her the last three Saturdays, her husband, like before they go to bed, unplugs the modem. And so when they wake up in the morning, there's no internet. So that means no Netflix, no video games, no chatting with a friend on Google Hangouts or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and is that, that they have is that true for the, the parents as parents well. Parents too. Um, that they're, I, I mean, they have their phone. Have, so if yeah. someone like needs to call you or, you mm-hmm. know, you're reachable, but, um, and what their day looks like. And she even says there's this, you know, kind of like that bell curve. It's like, it's not a big deal. Then there's like a point in the afternoon where tensions rise and people want their screens and their devices and their own time. And then they kind of figure it out. And when she told me that I was like partially like inspired and then like was like, "Ah," you know, it's like this, you know, it's very countercultural. It's very discomforting to even think about because it's not the norm, Mm -hmm. but does a good parent go rogue? Yeah. Right. When they're and there's certain advantages, like and, and our kids wake up before six a.m. and they're not allowed out of the rooms until six a.m. and so it's still really early. And so, like sometimes they start like entertaining themselves and it gets noisy and it's very early. Um, but e- even if that's not the case, it's like, well, yeah, you know, I played in the basement for two hours and I played in my room for two hours and I went outside for another four hours and <laughs> and we know, played a family game. Yeah. And by by that point, it's like. You know, I've, I, you know, I don't mean to be rude by my dad, but like been doing a lot of like play, like, is it okay if I have a screen right now? And at, at that point it's kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, the day is, it, it gets pretty lengthy. Um, so it, you know, and a lot of times like kind of becomes this, this assumption that we can all turn to and it's, I mean, and it's fun. Right. So just like I said, I, I wanted to come with something more concrete, but like, I would like to kind of like you were saying your friend has suggested like having uh, a day or, you know, something where, where we just don't treat the kind of entertainment that screens give us as a default. Yeah. All right. So my last one is, is the with, um, and it actually says play with them. Oh, gee. But in this context, (laughs) like culturally, we've received the message that we have to play with our kids all the time. Right. That like, I have to stop what I'm doing all day, every day. Like, Oh, I'm in the middle of cooking dinner. I'm going to stop now and do a puzzle with my two-year-old or like I'm, I'm working from home, but you know, someone wants to, you know, to paint with me and I have to stop. And I, you know, I think that we have to kind of like let that go because that's not healthy and it's not practical. Mm -hmm. Like we still have houses to run. We still have careers and jobs and other obligations. So we can't play with them all day, all of the time. So we have to like take the pressure off of trying to be our kids entertainment for 99% of the day. But we do have to give in and and play with them and interact with them and engage with them at some point. And so that should be kind of freeing in that, like, whether it's a designated time or like a designated activity that the family is all together, that that's part of the plan. All right. So do you have anything else that you want to add to the list of proposals? No, uh, I guess my my last takeaway is just. You know, the simple observation that parenting is important um, and we should continue to think and to dialogue about it. But we could take the pressure off of ourselves in the sense that there's there's no script. There's a lot of advice out there um, and a lot of different ways of, of doing things, all like with, with love behind it and with these intents behind it. So I think we have to be intentional about our parenting, but be aware of some of the sources of maybe the anxieties and and the fears and uh, the types of um, motivations that are driving our behaviors and being able to, despite those things, still make the best decisions for our kids that we can. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with modeling. You know, what do they see us doing as a part of our plan, as a part of our habits? You know, when they see those things, they become like normalize them. And so, you know, having hobbies, having interests, not always being on screens, um, you know, doing our best. I think I think those are all good things. And if our kids see us doing those things, then it's easier for them to, to follow suit. Mm-hmm. And so parenting is hard. And it's, you know, it's it's easy for an outsider to say you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong or give you advice when they don't know really like the dispositions of your children's or the dynamic in your family. And so like 
you know, let, let people give you advice, take it in, you know, and with a grain of salt and, and figure out what, what part of that is, is real and, and works for you. Um, and then when you don't know, you know, even just being honest about not knowing and yeah. kind of be in search of, you know, what that next thing is for you to, to make it make more sense and, and to do your best. Yeah. Is this the first episode we've dedicated entirely to kids? I think so. Okay. I know they come up in most of the conversations. They do. All right. So probably not the last uh, that we'll spend time talking specifically about parenting or about children, um, but we do hope that uh, you've enjoyed this conversation. And, you know, certainly, um, you know, as we'll continue to just explore and to share thoughts, and we look forward to just learning from you parents who are out there as well about what's working for you. Yeah. So feel free to share, you know, what works for you, what you're trying, uh, what hasn't worked, um, because we'd love to hear about it. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening so much today. See you next week. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. We hope you'll use this conversation as a starting point for your own. We hope you're encouraged to think and act more intentionally. If you want to learn more, you can visit our website, therelentlesspursuitpodcast.com, where you can find notes on today's show, plus additional blog posts, and you can subscribe to our free members list. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Facebook and Instagram are two great places to connect with us for daily doses of our quotable quotes, behind the scenes, and real-time photos, videos, and challenges. Until next time, let us know how you are taking life off autopilot. And relentlessly pursuing what matters.